Hello and welcome to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. And I got news for you. As the theme song says, we need a revolution. And you know what? We've got one. All over this world, we have got a revolution in progress happening. And I know sometimes it can be really disheartening when you hear things and you see things that are happening. Um, because we're still experiencing a lot of censorship and shadow bounding and the difficulty of getting the word out. But once in a while, you get that glimpse and you can see this massive revolution happen, a revolution that is peaceful, that is dedicated to real health, to real justice, to freedom, to so many of the things that humans need to survive and thrive in, in healthy, happy um, communities. So I, I want you to take heart this day after Thanksgiving. Um, I am I, I am so thankful to so many people that have stood up in this crazy time, stood up and put their reputations on the line, their jobs on the line to speak truth. This is something that we've been praying for for a very long time. Those of us who've kind of been in this vaccine safety reform movement, the medical health freedom movement, um, seeing all these issues and wishing everybody who said behind the scenes saying, oh, I know, keep going, doing what you're doing. We know what you're doing is good, but oh, I can't, I can't stand up. I can't speak out because I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Fear, 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 fear. But thanks to COVID, the silver lining is we are not alone. We are not alone in the United States and we are not alone globally. And that's what this show kind of is about today is, you know, we still up against a whole lot of stuff, but again, we're not alone. And um, in this first hour, I have got a wonderful woman uh, coming on. Her name is Zoe, um, Zoe O'Toole, and I've known her for several years now. Um, and so welcome. Just go ahead and let's, let's bring her on. I'm going to let Zoe, hey, there she is. There's that bright smile. Hi, Bernadette. Hi. I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself um, because you and I met years ago, pre-COVID. I mean, it's like we sort of date ourselves now. I was trying to remember now. when we met and I was having trouble yeah. with exactly when. Yeah. So it, it seems like, you know, the world always divided. It was like AD and BC, you know, but now, um, now we are going to have to have like a another, well, BC doesn't work, like before COVID and after COVID, sort of, because the world has so changed because yeah. of COVID. Um, yeah, so I think we met bef yeah, online and in, in online groups and email threads, even before we met in person. I think um, that's probably that why I can't remember exactly when I met yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But you have been in this medical uh, freedom movement for a long time. So tell us a little bit about Zoe and, and how you came to be. Your passion came and your energy turned toward this mission that we're on together. Well, like you, I'm a mom. And um, 
I was noticing that my son was having difficulty talking as a toddler. And I was searching online and fortunately information is available for a lot of things online that didn't used to be the case. So I found this thing called uh, childhood apraxia of speech. And that seemed to describe my son to a T. So I had a friend from uh, many years back who said that she was in touch with mothers of kids who had apraxia and they were doing things. Did I want to be in touch with them? And say, of course, yes, <laughs> sign me up, right? So they started suggesting things for me. And I thought that what they'd suggest would be speech therapy, things like that. But it turned out they were suggesting physical things like mm -hmm. digestive enzymes and mm -hmm. high dose fish oils and probiotics. And I started doing these things. And the minute I did, it was literally overnight, he was talking more. Mm -hmm. And within a couple of weeks, he was putting words together for the first time as well. And I thought, okay, mm -hmm. he'd already been in speech therapy for several months with one of the best speech therapists in Brooklyn mm -hmm. and that he wasn't making any progress from that. So when I saw this happening, I thought, oh, something is going on here. They, these people know what they're talking about. So they started giving me read the books to read. <clears throat> and I, when I read the Kenneth Bach book, The Four A's, The Healing the Childhood Ep Epidemics, Autism, uh, Asthma, ADHD. Well, anyway, I just saw my daughter described in there as well. And I thought, okay. And I started mm -hmm. doing some things that would help that situation. And all of a sudden her behavior was better. And something is absolutely going on here. And these people know what they're talking about. So the more that they did that, the more that, that I talked to other people, the more that um, I realized the value of talking to other parents. Yeah. And the other parents realized the value mm -hmm. of that too. So we started the Thinking Moms Revolution. Ah, yeah, that's probably where I first saw you was in the Thinking so Moms. What yeah. I did was I um I ended up editing the blog there. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I like to do that was because I was always interested in the science behind all of this. And I found that most parents are intimidated by the science. So I was a physics major and super logical mind. I was also a computer programmer and an electrical engineer. And those kinds of things are a place where I'm comfortable. And I know a lot of people are not. So I started interpreting the science I was reading for other people and I would write mm -hmm. these articles and people, you know, people would engage and they, they'd learn the science that they didn't know otherwise. So that's one of the passions that I have around this, which is one reason why I got involved with this particular book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, Mary had. Uh, and, and by Mary, you mean Mary Holland, who is um, my co-editor, co-editor. She's chief counsel now at Children's Health Defense. Um, also, she is the president. And president, okay. And she so has she, a vaccine-injured adult child. Yeah, so her journey was through her child as well that led her down this road and brought her where she is. Yeah. And she's uh, just a very brilliant 
lawyer and speaker. Yes. And so she met people, well, she encountered this book in Israel. It's called, the, the book is called Turtles All the Way Down, Vaccine, Science, and Myth. Mm -hmm. And she found it in Israel and people were talking about it. There was a lot of buzz around it. She started looking at the reference references and seeing that they were to all these medical mainstream sources. And she knew what they were saying and that mm -hmm. this was good to refer to. Mm -hmm. So she wanted to talk to the authors. So she got a chance to talk to one of the authors and talk them into doing an English version. Mm. So uh, she started out editing the English, but as the president of CHD, she didn't have a whole lot of time to put into it. So they, mm -hmm. um, they got a little impatient and brought me on as well. Mm -hmm. Very so good. That so that's how that happened. And so the world, you know, like I started off the show saying, a lot of us have been aware of a lot of problems with vaccine products Absolutely. Uh, for years, but we couldn't get anybody to listen. And her discovering this book in Israel and then bringing it to the American people at a time when minds are open or opening to listen to see because they experienced it firsthand with yeah. COVID. They experienced being told we're doing the science, trust us, we, we're, we're not taking shortcuts, oh, we know what we're doing, oh, they will save you, oh, they're safe and effective. All of the language, the marketing, yep. you know, we can call it propaganda, but it's, it, 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 for whatever, I mean, we don't even need yeah, intent behind it. But it just, doesn't even have to be intentional propaganda no. <laughs> to be conditioning, yeah. right? Yeah, it just, they just wanted to sell these products. And, and, you know, one of the problems with public health is they've got this tool. I, Zoe, I had this conversation earlier today with somebody because I had been reading, there was a, a recent publication in The Lancet where this uh, doctor was arguing, you know, weighing acquired immunity versus vaccine immunity. And one of the points that he pulls out is the fact that public health has control over, say, distributing and tracking vaccine uptake, but they have no control over people being exposed to a virus, getting sick and recovering. And they don't know, they, they can't see it. They don't, they have no control over it. They feel helpless when it comes to individual health, individual, how we handle it. And public health doesn't they, they they don't want to just like leave it to us to take care of ourselves the only tool really that they feel they have control over that they can track and use their data systems for is product usage yeah right and yeah. so that's what they do that's what they push this product and when they say it's the best tool that public health has well it's really the only tool they have. <laughs> it's the only tool you chose to invest in. Yes. Right? Yes. You know, they don't do any studies that compare the use of this tool to individuals who have adequate vitamin D levels, who might choose ivermectin or, you know, all of these other things. Those are too messy for them. That's too individualistic. You can't do that. So we have to figure out a new public health system where they can relax and trust us to take care of our health in consultation with 
healthcare providers that are not being coerced into, you know. Anyway. Yeah, and it's deeper than that too, I think, because the whole paradigm is based on this product usage. Yes. And that's not obviously, uh, if you look around you, promoting health. No. So we have to get down to ways to promote health. Real health. What is real, real health? health. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And I think that's what doctors would like mm -hmm. for the most part. You know, some mm -hmm. of them are lazy, of course. But, um, but for the most part, they went into it because they want to help people get well. Yes. And then they realized that it isn't really what they do. And I think that that's very difficult for them to handle, which is one reason why burnout is so high in the medical profession, especially mm -hmm. now, because it's even more commoditized than it ever has been yeah. because of the big companies that people are working for and the insurance agencies that control what they get paid for. Yeah. It's, it's just very much a commercial enterprise these days. It, it seems to me as if they're they would love to just completely get rid of the doctor who's like the middleman between the sales of their product. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think they just probably drool over the idea of a kiosk or everybody going to telemed where your computer scans you. Yep. And, and tells you what drugs to take. take. Tells you what drugs to take. And a drone then flies over your house and drops them on your doorstep. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what it feels like. Yeah. We could actually do that right now. And it seems like that's what they want, that standard of care. And, you know, leading up to COVID, how many doctors were really dissatisfied, if not demoralized, by the fact that their hands were tied on a number of health issues because they had to do standard of care or, you know, do what they were told within their system. So what's exciting, though, is this new paradigm of health it's really based on, I, I've heard that like in some ancient Chinese cultures, they did this where you pay the doctor to stay well, keep you well. And if you're sick, it costs nothing for him to treat you. Right. So that the doctor that would has be great. <laughs> all the incentive to keep you well, to keep you well here in Tennessee um, in a nearby city, there's a doctor who's got his practice set up that way. He, he charges maybe $85 a month for one adult to, to be part of his service. And his, he said, my job is to never see you. He says, I only make money if I don't have to see you. So, um, you know, so he jokes about that, but, you know, then um, trying to really keep you well, that has to be the incentive. So he does, he teaches, he'll have, he'll have Saturday classes where people can learn about diabetes and about nutrition and exercise and, and how your body responds to viruses and, and all this stuff because he wants his people well. Um, I, this new model that's emerging is very exciting. Um so I, I'm encouraged. It's it's slow going. But I, I wanted to show you, Zoe, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, kind of what's been happening. Have you heard the term One Health? Is that is that something you're I familiar with? I think so, with? but I'm not sure okay. of the context. Yeah. So let's look here. 
this is did it jump over for you there let me scroll yeah, all the see. way down yeah, we're at whoops i went to the bottom i've got a mouse that's going the opposite direction of what i want i don't know how to do this one here let me go over to the side and just drag there we go this was november 16th the g20 which is the you know the global yeah. top yeah, yeah. 20 most wealthy powerful businesses on the planet or countries i guess on the planet <laughs> it seems um, like businesses but yeah let me see i've got it written i've got it over here g20 is a form of the 20 largest economies in the world that meet regularly and i you know you've got to know that all the players are there not just the countries um so here's their declaration. This is what we're going to do. And of course, government's really good at beautiful language, right? Mm. So, you know, my my focus is, is health, is medicine. And um, so a lot of people will know more about a lot of these points, and I'm not going to touch on them because it talks about the war in Ukraine and, and uh, the economy, and those aren't my specialties. I, I know that there's problems with them, but I'm not going to elucidate on those. But they go through, they touch on everything. And it's it begins to read to me like a giant game of Monopoly, and they're deciding the rules of the game. This is what we're going to do, and we're going we're gonna to do this and this, and we're going to touch into here. They're going to go into food. Um, and some of the things that they say, I just found really concerning, like we're going to do our best um, to really sort of make sure we don't interrupt the food chain too much as we make changes. Right. <laughs> we're going to we're going to try to be careful as we just play this game with you. But we're going to go on down. Um, so. I guess before I, I lead into this is. The words are beautiful. We're going we're gonna to make sure everybody's healthy. We're going to make sure nobody gets disease. We're going to make sure everybody has the medicines they need, right? Mm -hmm. All these noble-sounding causes. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the, the methods that they want to do to achieve your goal, your, their goals, and you know those methods as well as you and I do, right? Yep. You, you can achieve what you say you want to achieve. Yeah. So let's go down to like number 22, I think is one of my my chief bugaboos, where they say, and this is just last week, we recognize that the extensive COVID-19. No, 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 no. Is a global <laughs> public good. And we will advance our effort to ensure timely, equitable and universal access to safe, no, 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 affordable, no, 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 no. quality and effective vaccines, therapeutics and diagnostics. Okay, this is where they should be talking about vitamin D and zinc, access to clean water, yeah. access yeah. to, you know, definitely to yep. maybe some medical facilities. Nutritional food. Ivermectin, which you and I know is a Nobel Prize winning drug that's on the list yep. of the top 10 most essential um, drugs by the WHO, the, the whole thing. They're not talking about the basics of health, um, but what they really get into is pathogens. Um, okay. Now I'm that's always been the focus of public health. Yeah. And yeah. continues to be, but when it comes down to it, that's not, I mean, yeah. I yeah. always hear about the, the terrain versus um, germ theory. Yeah. And in my head, it's obvious that it's both. <laughs> yeah. 
there are well, the contagious are pathogens there, right. that can mm -hmm. hurt more than other things. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, very specific situations or very specific ways to boost a body's ability to fight them off. Yes. Those two things exist, but you can't have all the focus on one side of it. That mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. Mm -mm. Doesn't make any sense. And what I'm trying to You can't form, eliminate mm -hmm. pathogens. No, and we are microbial creatures. And, right. And we need to be exposed to all these Absolutely. pathogens to develop our immune system. So the idea really is to understand who is harmed by pathogens? Why are they harmed? What can we do to increase their resilience yes. and their ability to, to recover and acquire immunity? And for those who need even more protection, what can we do? But that doesn't make all 7 billion people, or are we up to 8 billion people on the planet, um, customers pre-cradle to grave four or five times a year. That's, you know, it, it doesn't serve the market. And I'm trying to find, I, I've got this keyboard that I don't know how to use, find the search button on, but somewhere in here, it's talking about this concept of one health. I'm going to scroll and see if it jumps out at me. I don't think it will. It's so funny that I can't find the button on this keyboard. All the buttons seem to be upside down here. Um, but they talk about the concept of one health. And so I'm going to stop sharing for a minute. And one health is this idea, and they introduce as if it's new. Oh, it's time. We're going to do this one health. And it's human, animal, and environment health all intertwined and dependent on each other. Which well, is that's a, a great idea because that is oh. the way it works. <laughs> oh, Nathan told me. Control <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> I, can, um, I can find that on this keyboard. Um, it's that's what I mean is it's yes, we agree with that, though. A lot of the goals I set out there, I absolutely agree with. But when you look at where they're how they're describing one health and then what they plan to do and what their concerns are, it keeps leading back to dangerous pathogens that are going to lead to pandemics. And here's the tools we're going to do. And it's more vaccines. It's more antivirals. It's digital uh, IDs, it's tracking, it's, you know, it's all of this. It's, it's the bio industry. Mm. It's not getting back to the fundamentals of health, you know, that sort of thing, but it, it, it just leads to this, all this other stuff, you know, and we know the health of soil means that animals are healthy and we're healthy. Of course, that's true, but those, the tools that we know work best don't make any profit and they they lead to individual control of individual health as opposed to um, public control. Yeah. You know, or, or some other entity being able to track what they're doing. You know, those monopoly players being able to move little pieces around the puzzle. <laughs> um, they can't do that. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it a, a one more try. I'm going to jump over here and see if I can find the, um, where did it go? Oh, there's that. Okay. Oh, I'm seeing all kinds of things. I should goof off. I, I, I should not squirrel why I am, while I'm, okay. So it, trust me, One Health is in there. So I, I'll put some links later on for everybody to find, but let's move next to this term, which they're introducing as if it's somewhat new, but then look at this. We've got this 2019 um, the One Health Approach, why is it so important that was published? And it's talking about 
the majority of novel emergent zoonotic infectious disease originate in animals. Okay, so they're still going after the bat theory for COVID, even though we know the the, the evidence yeah, is so they, they clear that it was done in a lab. It didn't jump from bats. And then it's saying the term One Health was first used in 2003 and 2004, associated the emergence of the first SARS, right? So this term's been around a long time. And, you know, the foundation of One Health and all the money pushing toward the idea of this concept of really kind of controlling things with the big powers that be. Okay, so um, then what I'm going to do is show you next. What struck me, I was doing something else. I was looking for something in, in Tennessee. And what did I find? Accidentally, look at this, one Health at the Department of Health in Tennessee. This is a government webs website, Tennessee uh, tn.gov backslash health. Well, wait a minute. They've got a whole committee that meets and they have initiatives. The Tennessee One Health, when did they start this? And it's the same thing. It's about people, animals, and the environment and their interactions together and infectious disease and all of that. Well, they've been around since 2018. Huh. Isn't that interesting? So then I thought, well, I wonder what's going on in Washington State, where I'm also very mm -hmm. active. So I went and looked what's going on in Washington State, and I found, here we go. Look at this, One Health in Washington State at doh.wa.gov. Same idea, same concepts, and it's. I'm not sure when this has been around. Let's see if it has a date on the web page. I'm not seeing a date anywhere here, but it's been around a while, integrated into their ideas, their mindset, and what they're doing. So I dare say, if we were to look in the very every state in the union and in many countries around the world, that One Health. Um, is out there, the concept, mm -hmm. the idea that they have laid the foundation for. And integrated in all of it is continued that, that we cannot survive pathogenic um, communicable diseases without vaccines. Which is crazy because, you know, vaccines have been around for most of them no longer than 50 years. Right. Yeah. And we've been around for a heck of a lot longer. <laughs> a heck of a lot that. longer. Right. <laughs> and and we know when we look at the let let's take measles at the uh, mortality and morbidity of infectious disease. And this is pointed out in Turtles all the way down in the book, that um let's when you look at a country that had access to clean water, sanitation, flushable toilets, you could wash your hands. Fairly decent nutrition. Our nutrition is going down. It's probably why we're getting so sick. But um, when we had access to all of that in the early 1960s, prior to the measles vaccine coming out, the mortality from measles was about 400, maybe 500 a year in in people with some chronic health issues. But and it was still know, on the way down. And it was still on the way down. And um, and you would think in 2022 we could save even more lives you would but yeah. but the problem is is once they target 
an infection with a vaccine, they stop looking at treatments. It wasn't even just that too, when you think mm -hmm. about it. When they first proposed the measles vaccine, it was hard to get people to buy into it because there was no real threat that no. most people felt from measles. So one of the things they did was they posted articles on why, why did we choose to create a measles vaccine? Why did we go after the measles um, virus? And basically the answer was because we can. <laughs> yeah. They thought we can, we can eliminate it or eradicate it mm -hmm. in the way that it looked like smallpox was going to be eradicated. Mm -hmm. And smallpox has been eradicated, but smallpox is a completely different situation. It's not nearly as contagious. It's, uh, you don't have the long prodromal period that you have with measles either. So it just is much easier to contain than measles is. And it has its own story about what really eradicated yeah, about it. What Mostly really happened. it was isolation. There's, there's so Mostly. many other things we yeah. can talk about with smallpox, <laughs> yeah. but, but it, yeah. it was eradicated. So you could say, yes, the vaccine helped us eradicate smallpox. So why can't we do that for measles? But like I said, measles is a very, very different thing. And they didn't know how much they didn't know when that happened, but once they bought in, they bought in all the way. And there's been so much focus in recent years in getting down to zero cases. Mm -hmm. Which you can't do with a leaky you vaccine. You can't, you can't do, do with a leaky vaccine, right. a vaccine that wears off, a vaccine that does not, not everybody zero right. converts. There are so many right. reasons why it can't happen with measles. Right. And it hasn't happened. Yeah. And what has, what, you know, because it's, it's so political, it's so um, tied up in profit. There's just so many factors that go into pushing the concept that you have to vaccinate for measles there. They don't look at all that was lost. I, I love one of my favorite expressions is they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Yep. Right. Yep. Like, OK, we're going to get rid of the incidence of disease among children. And, and it really was just among children because everybody 15 and older had lifetime immunity when the vaccine was introduced because they had had it as a kid. Yeah. Almost so everyone, they, yep. they got rid of it, um, but not realizing so many of the benefits of experiencing at an optimal time in life, the lifetime immunity, the broad protection the great maternal antibodies that the mama. Yeah, there were very the few people at that point in time yeah. who knew that there were benefits. Yeah. Yeah. For and just children fighting <laughs> off an infectious illness. It, it was basically a training uh, program for the, for the immune system. Exactly. And it was so funny because I recently looked up the old trope about not trope, but the, um, there was a study going around a few years ago that were trying to frighten people from measles saying that, oh, it wipes out your immune memory. And if you get the measles, yeah, that's not it, no. And but when you read the article really carefully, the, the study, it's it what it says is like there appears to be a temporary time wherein some antibodies 
really diminish as you know after experiencing the measles but it's temporary and they said as soon as an individual is re-exposed to an illness they rapidly mount an antibody response and they're immune again and they and said, not only we, that though what yeah. people found i mean what you hear historically and yeah okay it's anecdote but there were these reports were actually found their way into medical journals. People mm -hmm. would talk about after their child had measles, yes. their health got so much better. Yes. Yeah. So they, their, their immune systems were clearly able to fight off more things yeah. as a result of having gone through the measles. And I saw that with my son because he, I didn't vaccinate him. Mm -hmm. uh, he had chicken pox. And prior to having chicken pox, he was one of those kids who would catch every flu, every cold and be down and out for a week or so, you know, and, and have a fever and whatever. He had a nasty case of chicken pox, but the following year he had no days off from school. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even realize it until I got his, his perfect attendance report and went, what? Yeah. <laughs> this is my son. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, you know, the baby with the bathwater. And that's what we need is honest science that will look at the big picture, look at what we are doing and um, look at, you know, and we, we know that we've traded incidents of disease symptoms because we know, and again, the book Turtles All the Way Down explains which vaccines can actually prevent infection for, for at least a yeah. length of time and which ones never actually prevent infection, like everything in the DTAP or the TDAP, right. but everything in the minimize, <laughs> minimize symptoms for a period of time and then that wanes, but you're still able to catch and transmit. Yep. Um, but, but what did you lose um, by by having this artificial suppression of symptoms and what is the overall health. And that's when the studies like Dr. Paul Thomas and, you know, the, the true vaxxed versus unvaxxed study, yeah. the control group uh, litigation study survey that they did showing health. So it's obvious that skewing the immune system in early infancy, th that there are downsides to that. Yeah. There's yeah. downsides to disease avoidance. We've seen this right now because of the lockdowns that happened. Kids are more and, and adults are more susceptible to all sorts of infections right now because they hadn't got their normal boosters, as it were, right? We're microbial creatures. We're yeah. supposed to be exposed all the time to keep our immune system. We, we knew going into this that if you lived in a bubble, you yeah. become immune compromised. We knew this, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Okay. One of the things that, that I find that a lot of people don't understand about this kind of concept either is that not everybody's immune system is, reacts the same way. Mm -hmm. Our immune systems actually change with every exposure to a pathogen, to a toxin, to a, a vaccine that is meant to hyperstimulate a particular form of antibodies. So... All of the, our exposures are different, are individual, and our predisposition is also individual. Yes. So we're not going to have the same response. So you look at somebody and you say, but they got better after they had the vaccine. Well, that may be true for some people, for some vaccines. Mm -hmm. That may have been 
something that actually boosted their immune system. But somebody else's whose immune system is already more active or more likely to put out antibodies mm -hmm. would have a, a rather different reaction and possibly way overreact. Mm -hmm. And people aren't don't have that understanding that no. they're not one size does not fit all in any yeah. any of these. Right. And this is really well established science. And there's yeah. the famous Dr. Gregory Poland, who editor of the journal Vaccine. I'm not sure if he still is. Um, he was a really interesting fellow. I, th I think that he kind of sees the world as his giant laboratory mm. because he he promoted a whole lot of things that made a lot of sense, like the fact that we are there shouldn't be one size fits all. We should have personalized medicine and personalized uh, vaccination strategies based on your genetics and your health and so many other things. Yep. But he was also very pragmatic and he knew that, hey, you know, it's expensive to do individualized medicine. So we're going to have to just accept the collateral damage at this stage until we can make individual shots cheaper. We're just going to lose people and they're going to be hurt. I mean, he was really, really but rather at this callous. Point, the collateral damage is so high. That oh, with the COVID shots, it's so, well, just, actually well, with all well, of them mounted together. the COVID right? shots. I mean, look at how many kids are sick, you know? And now, right. And now we have for the first time, there, there's another page. I'm going to, while I go find this other page I want to share with you, um, tell us a little bit more about turtles. Um, because I really want people to understand wh why this book is so important and why they need to share it. Because when we... Each and every single one of us is needed to step up and educate. Um, Dr. Robert Malone said in January at the Defeat the Mandates March, um, the truth is like a lion, set it free and it will defend itself. So we know there's a lot of problems out there. And you and me, Zoe, we can't fix all the problems. Mm -mm. But there's a lot of brilliant people who know how to fix all the little problems, but they need to know the truth. Yeah. So I feel like yeah. a, our, your job, my job, moms and dads and people everywhere, if all you can do is share the truth and, and try to open minds wherever you go, don't underestimate the power that, of that, the power of that, because yeah. if you don't do that, we lose. We don't do yeah. that. All these people at the G20 summit are going to get their wish, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. No. And we need to take back real health and it comes with education. You don't have to provide the full solution. You just have to provide the information and turtles all the way down. There's lots of books by that title. So make sure you get the right one. Um, Vaccine, uh, science and myth. That's the, yeah. the subtitle. Yeah. If you, so, if you put in the subtitle, you'll find the right book. Yeah. So give us the kind of the overview of what's included in that in that book. So the main idea is that. Um, there's a lot of information out there and it is hard to sift through all the piles of information, especially when it conflicts so much. You'll hear my kid was destroyed by a vaccine versus the vaccines are safe and effective from the establishment. So how do you sort through that? You and I were able to do that partly because in the old days, the, um, the Google algorithms would allow us to find the information we were looking for. 
that is not really the case anymore. It is much, much harder to find the information that we found. So we've been able to put together a comprehensive view of the science in ways that a lot of the new parents can't do. So what this, the authors really wanted to do was, was to make a clear case for, um, for who's right in the debate, who, who's right, who's, who's telling you the truth. Are you getting the truth from the officials who are saying all vaccines are safe and effective? Or are you getting the truth from the parents who are saying they have effects that you don't know about and nobody told me and I'm really sorry I ever did it. So if you know who's telling the truth there, that can help you sort through everything else after that. So like you said, it's about telling the truth mm -hmm. and learning the truth. So the book goes through all the phases of vaccine safety science, all the things that the claim vaccines are safe and effective, uh, particularly vaccines are safe, um, are based on. And the first thing is the clinical trials and the clinical trials are rigged. And chapter one tells you that. And the way it tells you is by showing you with each individual vaccine on the, the schedule, what their trials look like. And you find that virtually every vaccine gets compared to another vaccine. So in a very real sense, we don't know how many adverse events are happening from any one vaccine on the schedule, much less the combination of all the vaccines on the schedule. So for okay. instance, Prevnar was compared in its big phase three trial against an experimental meningitis vaccine. They gave infants an experimental meningitis vaccine to determine whether or not Prevnar was safe. So <laughs> one in 30 something, 35 I think infants were sent to the hospital or hospitalized. Even more were actually uh, went to the ER after getting this vaccine. However, the infants in the control group also were hospitalized at a similar rate. Well, that's because <laughs> they were giving them an experimental meningitis vaccine, right? It's not because the placebo would have sent them to the hospital mm -hmm. at that kind of rate. Would really one in 35 kids have ended up in the hospital without anything? Probably not. So, yeah. or one in 17, I think, ended up going to the emergency room. So um, so the, the main point is that we don't know right from the start what is the safety profile for any vaccine mm -hmm. so then it becomes very important that you track adverse events well right mm -hmm. we don't do that vaccine adverse event reporting system is horrendous and the cdc knows it on average we're we're probably getting one to ten percent maybe of various adverse events, maybe 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 10% of the serious ones, maybe 1% of the non-serious ones, who knows? 
No one knows and no one cares at the, the CDC. We know that <clears throat> because there was a, an attempt to automate it about 10 years ago mm -hmm. that looked like it would do a really good job. And the report was written up and it was doing great. It was flagging events and telling doctors, this is the event that we you might want to consider reporting. And here's all the information. We can automate sending that information because it actually is a very time consuming thing for a physician to sit down and do the report themselves. So this was a wonderful system, but mm -hmm. the CDC just didn't return their phone calls. Yeah. Yeah. So the, that. Mm -hmm. the clinical trials are terrible. The adverse event reporting systems are terrible since nobody is acknowledging that that specific um, side effects are coming from the vaccines. Mm -hmm. Then they are also um, not not recognizing vaccine injury when they see it. No one knows then how to treat it and how to prevent it, mm -hmm. which should be for any society who is yeah. requiring infants to take these, these vaccines. Those should be very, very, very important things to nail down. Mm -hmm. How do we prevent this injury? How do we treat this injury when it happens, especially if it's a devastating one? Mm -hmm. And parents with, with kids who have been devastated by vaccine injury find themselves all by themselves, all alone, with uh, no help. Yeah. And, you know, my listeners and, and viewers know I brought up several times that prior to emergency use authorization of the COVID shots, both the FDA and CDC put forward a list of um, adverse events of special interest that they wanted to be watching for, or so they claim. And these weren't just randomly pulled out of a hat. These were based on clinical trial data, based on known science of similar platforms like lipid nanoparticle technology, mRNA technology. They knew to look for these things. And yet, and yet they did not tell the general public to be on the lookout. They didn't tell ER doctors or family doctors or any doctors. The only thing they told vaccine administrators and doctors to look for was anaphylaxis. You heard of nothing else for a very, very long time, even though they knew to look for these things. And then the other thing that is so disturbing um, is the fact that they knew that these shots were experimental. They knew that severe adverse events could happen. Were and likely e to happen. Right. And even, even just accidental um, administration improperly administered, yep. you were going to get injured. Cold chain was broken. Or if something was broken, you were going to get injury just from the nature of how many you were giving and the fact that it's an injected product. Um they should have had something in place to ensure those who experience an adverse event were properly helped. Yep. But supported. not a dime, not a penny, nothing. nothing. Everybody is nothing. treated as if no one knows what what the what to do. adverse events are. You're no not one knows supported. where to send people. No. no one knows what how to treat them. Nope. No, right. And you know, we had a there's a woman I'm still in contact. Um, here in uh, in Washington State, who in when the shots first came out, she got the Johnson and Johnson shot, and still is dealing with horrific 
um, adverse reactions from it. Her life has been completely changed. She cannot work just so many, but she's been taking detailed notes. She's a scientist in her own right and has been documenting everything. Um, and it's just so appalling at here she is having to fend for herself, find, you know, go through all of her insurance, go through her savings, you know, and just yeah. try to yeah. find answers. This is so wrong. It's so inhumane. Wrong. So wrong. <laughs> and, you know, now uh, there are so many um, workplaces that are requiring mm-hmm. all the people who work there to get these things. Mm-hmm. And there's no support there either, which I don't know if you saw recently, um, CHD attorneys were saying that uh, one of the best ways at this point in time, or po- probably the best way at this point in time to get any help at all is through workers' compensation. Yeah, if, you're, if your employer required yeah. you to get it through working. So I encourage uh, yeah. anybody who has that issue and mm-hmm. has had a, a job that yeah. pushed them to get the vaccine to, to go through file a workers' yeah. compensation claim. Yeah. So um, we're, we're getting close. I think we've got like about five more minutes. So this, if, if Zoe, if you were going to recommend two books that would be the best books to educate people on vaccine products, we need to de- demyth demystify. Vaccines are not magic elixirs made by leprechauns. Vaccines are pharmaceutical products made by the pharmaceutical industry. They're shielded from liability for the most part for injury or death, and they make the companies billions. These are products. So this is a consumer protection issue. So right now we've got this great resource that thank you for, for stepping in there. Editing is hard work. Thank you for your hard work of editing this book. And the best place to get it right now really is Amazon because the the authors want to self-publish. And so is that the best platform to get yeah, it? Yeah. At this- it's also being sold on Jeremy Hammond's website. So if you absolutely cannot handle Amazon, go, go to Jeremy Hammond's website. Yeah. So we've had Jeremy on several times. So Jeremy R. Hammond, he's an investigative journalist, brilliant young man. So yeah, go to Jeremy R. Hammond and buy from him or, you know, um, at least use the smile function on Amazon, which which I do when I resort to buying from there, because then it gives to some of my favorite charities a little percentage. You of can my- donate to CHD. <laughs> you can. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. So we've got that which covers pediatric vaccines, the childhood schedule vaccines, but it doesn't does not incorporate COVID shots if right. Right. So, so then what book would you recommend is the best um, book? Would it be um, the real Anthony Fauci? Does that have the best comprehensive science? The real Anthony Fauci, I think is a wonderful book, Mm -hmm. really, really good book, but it's more about how did we get here in terms of. Yeah. I'm looking at my general. Not science on vaccines in particular. At my books. I'm not sure if any books. I lost my ear. Has anybody put together a comprehensive book on the science of of these COVID shots? I haven't seen a comprehensive book yet. There's a chapter in uh, Robert Malone's new book that's coming out next month. Oh, yes. On it. Um, And it's an interesting chapter, but I don't know that it's, Mm -hmm. it's not really comprehensive. And it also... That chapter is not enough on its own. But you know what? There's 
there are a numerous other chapters in that book that um, that will ex explain a bunch of the issues with the shot as well. So that one might be very helpful. The truth about COVID-19. That one's very good, but it's less about the vaccines and more about um, this. This one is excellent. We've got the hardcover coming out on that With, one. I think it yeah. came out this week. The Courage and to Face COVID-19, Preventing it's a very, very good Death book. While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. Yeah. And that's uh, John Leake and Peter McCullough. What that, that book, for anybody who, who wants a good, easy to understand, step-by-step, blow-by-blow, what happened and why it's crazy, mm -hmm. that's a great book because it's written by a true crime writer who knows a good story when he sees one and how to tell it. And it's about Peter McCullough, who is a conscientious cardiologist mm -hmm. who wanted to help people, wanted he to did. save lives. He did. And so and he developed this protocol, you know, working with other doctors right. too, and, and used and the, it. And, and the music trouble. means, yep, and the music means we got to go because Bernadette okay. always runs, bumps up against the top of that hour. Zoe O'Toole, I adore you. Thank you for all you're doing. And thank you for being on an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM, KKNW, and CHDTV. We're going to take a couple minute break and then we'll be back. Stay tuned. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me the love. We need a revolution. Hello and
everyone. Welcome back to the second half of an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Um, I've still got Zoe with me, I believe. Zoe O'Toole was in the first hour, editor of the amazing new book, Turtles All the Way Down, which um, everybody needs to read and get copies and hand out because knowledge is power. And, you know, we really have to change the public health paradigm. Um, before we bring on our guest, Zoe, I had mentioned something in the last hour that I'd, I'd been reading this um, opinion kind of piece in, in The Lancet that was recently published. And this is what I'm saying, the absurdity of why public health is choosing the tool. It says, without reliable information about the conditions conferring immunization, and he's already acknowledged that exposure to a wild um, virus can give you immunity, immunization, or the product, um, vaccine product. Anyway, uh, without reliable information, it becomes difficult to build policy. Vaccination uses the same (laughs) formula each time, the same dosage, and with an identifiable date of vaccination, waning immunity can be documented, documented with high reliability. Natural immunity is highly variable by comparison. People may not know which strain infected them without further testing and viral load during the infection or precisely when their exposure occurred. Asymptomatic individuals may know none of this information. I mean, not that you know it, but anybody's vaccinated anyway. But anyway, um, serology testing for SARS-CoV-2 antibodies could also be undeniable. But nobody's doing serology testing. (laughs) Due to timing and current serology test performance characteristics, vaccines thus provide a more reliable option than natural infection when constructing policy. So it's like, okay, it's an industry. They, they, They can't handle individualism, individual need, individual response, individual health, that's way too complicated for policy. So let's just pick a tool because by gum, we can figure out how to, how to use that tool. It's the same for everybody. You know, it's just line them up anyway. So that's the absurd, you know, and the person who wrote, this is probably not an evil person. This person probably not probably, it is probably somebody who would like to be able to track numbers, you know, and it's hard to track numbers of, people who got something and are now immune to it. Right. Yeah. So this is vaccination and natural immunity advantages and risks as a matter of public health policy by Adam Biggs and Lanny Littlejohn. I I don't know what their associations are here, but this is the mindset. And Bernadette's a person with grace in her heart, um, always thinking that most people don't have ill intent. But what we're seeing was such an incompetent rollout of experimental products. And now such, we really are seeing an evil lack of response to the harms being displayed. Yes. That, you know. It's the callous disregard that they accused Andy Wakefield of, you know. Exactly. Yeah. This is callous disregard. You're hurting people on a massive scale and completely disregarding it. Yes. And, and, you know, with that, I'm going to bring on our honored next guest. His name is Alex Mitchell, and he's coming to us from Scotland. I've never had anybody on from Scotland before. Hi, can you hear us? Okay, Alex? I can. And I've thoroughly enjoyed sitting listening to you. It's been very educational. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, I love your accent. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm deliberately trying to speak slowly because okay. the Scottish accent, uh, particularly the Glasgow accent, yeah. when we go at the speed we go, only another Glaswegian can understand us. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for going slowly. I One of my favorite authors I used to read a lot back when I had a little more leisure time was Maeve Binchy, and I believe she was a Scottish writer. Um, romance novels you know I said just very She's sweet actually humor. Irish <laughs> is she Irish okay yeah. sorry I that I mean shame on me that's that's really something you're not supposed to do is confuse the Scottish <laughs> and Irish right you get an excuse because the Scots the Irish and the Welsh are all Celts okay yeah. Thank so, you. Uh, not that we're, I'm anti-English I'm not <laughs> um but the, the Scottish the Irish and the Welsh are known Celts so we have that I think it's a uh, you know, it's developed over the years. It's an, you know, it's an intuition thing that you know they're a kill. I'll automatically align mm. and be, be comfortable in their company. Um, and most of the Celts are the same. They're very close to the the sort of the, the Vikings and in the regions that they're, they're a bit. Yeah. Well, we tend to that there's something missing in all of us. I think it's a fault. I think it's a falter. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think so. And I, I think considering what I know a little bit about your journey that you've been on, Alex, that you got a little bit of Viking spirit because by gum you're you're fighting. You're right. you're injured and you're fighting and you're here and you're speaking and it's I'm I'm really proud of you and it's an I'm so sorry of what you've gone through. So let, let's just kind of start at the beginning here. So you're in Scotland and and let's just say COVID is hitting. Tell me who you were and what your thoughts were about vaccination in general before all of this happened to you. Before COVID, I was a, I'm an old-fashioned mod, which is a, a, a culture, a fashion culture where we dress very smartly, three-piece suits, and we drive old Vespas, Italian scooters. Oh, cool. And we listen to old 60s music. It all comes from the 60s. And there's a, it's not just about the music, the scooters and the dancing. That's a part of it. I've been, I'm, I'm 58 now. I've been a mod since I was 17. Mm-hmm. Roughly from the age of 14, I kind of got into the scene. But by 17, I was, I was a hardcore mod. That was it for me for life. And it, it was more than that. It's a way of life. And by that, I mean, there's a philosophy that I have behind it. That I believe that I am different from anyone you will ever meet. But so are you. Mm-hmm. Embrace that uniqueness. Although we tend to sort of the schools, we'll have this collective look that we look, everyone can see that, you know, there's a similarity. But we're all individuals and celebrate your own individuality. And as well as that, set your own morals, standards, ethics and principles and try and live and attain to those. And I try every day to improve myself in some way and I feel miserable every day. Every day, mm. but I got to try something different the next day. Mm-hmm. Keep doing that. It's, I kind of kind it to if you polish a diamond, at some point it's going to gleam. <laughs> and it's yeah. kind of, you know, these, these, and it's about being positive in life, not being negative. I've always been a positive person. I was into my music all my life, um, live music three, four gigs every week since the age of sort of a 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a band for a couple of years. 
uh, it was a mod covers band, very successful in Scotland in the, the, the in the scooter scene, and it was also a uh, what you would call a steel erector. Over here, it's called a scaffolder. Oh, scaffolder. Okay, steel uh, erector, very, scaffolder. Okay. Very, very, very heavy physical hard work. Yeah, Fighting. dangerous work. Yeah. yeah, it can be if you don't look where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved it. It, it. it allowed to get the that phys, that physical thing out of you, and mm-hmm. it was it's one of those jobs that because of the type of job, you know, it's five ton of steel every day each that you're carrying and building and stripping, and you clearly you're going to heights that nobody really wants to go to. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that every scaffolder I've ever met is slightly insane. <laughs> and it's a prerequisite for the job. Yeah. So I've had to accept over the years that I must be slightly insane too. So that was my life. Um, I was out four or five nights a week either at gigs or I was out in my scooter. One night a week I went to my mum's before she passed away. Um, and I think my wife saw me maybe one, one and a half nights a week. And I think she loved it. Um, <laughs> That's the secret to a happy marriage is you don't see each other too much. <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of, <clears throat> I've kind of changed that around a little bit. Um, and I was just a normal human being, you know. The nearest I was to a conspiracy theorist was going onto YouTube and looking UFO videos and things like that. That was as far as I was, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, then COVID came, the whole world was shut down. It was 24-7 on the TV. Don't hug your granny. People couldn't go and say goodbye to their loved ones as they were passing away. They were, you know, we couldn't... We had... The, at the second lockdown, we went back to work. And the process that they put in place was impossible to follow. I had to put up a section of scaffolding, leave it for 48 hours so there was no infection. Someone t- could go and inspect it that it was at the standard they were happy with. That had to be left another 48 hours before I could go back on the scaffolding. This was how insane it got. You know, people stayed in. You know, they didn't go out the door. They were terrified. And, the, you know, there was deaths everywhere. You know, and the, we know the propaganda. It was there 24-7 all over the world. And people were dying. The numbers they were given us was horrific. So like everyone else, you try and do the right thing. They ask you to go and take your vaccine. I'm supremely healthy. I was, I'm trying to put it into American, but I can't. Uh, 13 stone, which is phenomenal shape. Mm-hmm. I was in physical shape at 57 that some bodybuilders took years to get to because you, it's, you know, it's a lot of, I'm not that shape anymore, as you can clearly see. And so I was perfectly fit and healthy, no underlying health conditions. And I went on the 20th of March, 2021, and got the AstraZeneca vaccine. I was told verbally, you may have a sore arm and you may have flu-like symptoms for 48 hours, which exactly was the case. Everything was fine till the 1st of April. And the irony on that is not lost on me. I was at work and I lifted something that's particularly heavy. It should take two people to, to lift it, but if you're an experienced scaffolder, you know what you're doing. So 
and I thought I'd, I'd blown or pulled both my calf muscles at the same time. Went home, had a bath, and struggled for the next couple of days. And then on the 4th of April, I was ironing some clothes to go and meet my daughter. It was her birthday on a Saturday, and I wasn't fit enough to go. But this was the Sunday, the 4th of April. I just finished that press, ironing what I was going to wear, unplugged the iron, and turned around and collapsed. Mm. And I just knew, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, me to stay calm. Unfortunately, I was upstairs at the time, and my wife is in the, was in the kitchen with the door closed. Mm. Couldn't hear me, and I had to pull myself down the stairs, head first, backwards, which made rather a lot of noise. Um, my wife came running out, and again, something inside me told it, stay calm, stay calm, and I said. Two things, I need you to get me a belt and phone an ambulance. The belt, I think, I've said this before, I think it's watching too many war movies, too many old westerns, you know, gunshot, put a tourniquet on it and it'll stop. Oh, no. Yeah, because at that point, (laughs) in my lower left calf, I could feel something, but that was Mm -hmm. the first ambulance came. I don't remember very much after getting myself down the stairs. Um, Mm. I do have hazy recollections of paramedics being there and then a blue light and I've come to in a hospital mm-hmm. and there's a lady in front of me and all I can see is her eyes. She's head to toe in PPE and gowns. And she says to me, do you know who you are and do you know where you are? I said, yes, because I know who I am. I know I'm in a hospital, but I don't know where and I don't know what, what's happened. And she said, we don't know either, but we need to go. For, I need your permission to go for a CT scan. I signed the paper. The CT scan was still spinning, and the lady was standing beside me. We need to go to theatre, and we take go now. Mm. I said, theatre, you mean the operating room? Operating theatre, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And I said, I, I take it, I'm in trouble. And she said, yes. I said, how bad? She said, the worst kind. Uh, and... and- all I could come out with was, all I can ask is you to do your best. And it was clots they had seen in the CT scan? Didn't say at that point. I wasn't no. told anything. Mm. Um, at, at that point, she, she left me and she went into another room with my wife and two daughters from my first marriage um, and basically said to Four of them said to my wife and two daughters, we have no hope. We have never seen anything like this. We're not giving up, but we have to make that decision and tell you. Mm. Um, I was allowed a couple of minutes to make a phone call to my wife and two daughters, obviously to say goodbye, Mm -hmm. and went into the operating theatre. I was in the operating theatre for seven and a half hours having blood clots removed from my lower abdomen, my right leg and my left leg. I've come round from the surgery and the same lady is still there and she said to me, you shouldn't be here, but you are here and here we hope you stay. Mm. And I asked, what happened? You know, what's happened? And she said, well, we've removed the clots and unfortunately we, we think we have a problem with your left leg. 
your abdomen and your right leg are fine. And obviously I'm still very confused with the the, the anaesthetic. And I'm said, clots? And I said, how many clots? She said, multiple. And obviously I'm in my head, I'm still thinking it's my left leg. And I said, multiple clots. I said, how many? She said, we stopped counting after four hours. After four hours of counting clots and removing them, they stopped counting. Stopped counting. Um, and they went for another three and a half. Yeah. And they managed to peruse my abdomen and my right leg. And they said at that point, we have a serious concern for your left leg and it's most likely to be an amputation. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I asked for five minutes, ten minutes, just to try and process that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not going to lie, there is no processing that. The, <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, because you can't hold a thought. Yeah. It just, it's just this kaleidoscope myriad of thoughts going through your head of, how am I going to do this? What's going to happen with that? What about this? What about that? Mm -hmm. um, and I asked where it would be, you know, where the amputation and she said it's likely to be an above the knee. Mm -hmm. And I asked, was there no hope of a, a below the knee amputation? Because that makes a massive difference to what I can do in life. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not going to lie, my first question was, will a prosthetic leg hold the weight of my scooter? No. Mm -hmm. I be able to walk again, not will I do anything again. My first love was my scooter. Um, Your scooter. Will you be able to ride the scooter is what you were yeah. saying. Yeah, okay. And um, the doctor, he was of Swiss-French descent. I really didn't understand what I was talking about. So to get my phone, show him my culture, my style, and eventually got it. And he said, I don't know. Uh, I said, there's no hope of it being a below the knee. He said, there's always hope. And I said, I'll take it. And he said, I'll give you a week. I now realise he didn't give me the week because I asked for it. He gave me the week because i just came out of seven and a half hours of surgery that I shouldn't, shouldn't have survived. Mm -hmm. and an amputation at that point, I wouldn't have survived. Mm -hmm. At that point, I was with the day after I was in the hospital, the, the vascular surgeon that initially dealt with me, the lady um, had, was speaking to me and at that point it was mentioned that they thought this was possibly vaccine related because the only thing that had happened in the previous three, four weeks was the AstraZeneca vaccine. I have no underlying health conditions. I never have had. Mm -hmm. Kind of lost to where to go. She did explain to me that they'd never seen clots like this. That's how they knew it was something they'd never dealt with before. A week later, I went through what was meant to be a two-and-a-half-hour amputation. It turned into a five-hour amputation um, because as soon as they went in, everything, even the smallest arterial vein, was collapsing on them. I, I come right from that surgery, um, and a day later, I was told it was thrombotic thrombothenia, and I had never heard of these two words I'm a scaffolder, I'm just a working class guy. So I have, I'm so what is this? And so I said, well, it's, and explained it. And within another four or five days, this, or sorry, two, day, two weeks, it was classified as VIT, 
VIWT, vaccine-induced thrombiotic thrombothenia. Um, and what the what the does is you've got your white blood cells, your red blood cells, hemoglobin and plasma, and you also have an antibody called PF4 platelets antibody, which is a negative antibody. That's what keeps your blood the consistency. It is if you if it's if it's too thin, it's too much oxygen, you'll die. If it's too thick, you'll clot, you'll die. It's such a vital, vital antibody for the smallest, and that's what feeds your platelets. Means in the VIC cases, it turns that from negative to positive, which means that my blood just clots. And even up until now, if you take blood out of me and leave it for half an hour, it goes like jam. My PF4 antibody, I, I'm now 18 months down the, the road and it's still 100% positive. It's been accepted by myself and the haematology task force that, that that's not good. It's unlikely to change now unless science comes up with something at the moment. So I'm now on a regime of medication, um, some of which I have to take every day, twice a day or I have about 10 to 12 days left. I started a year and a half ago because I was told I was the first in the world to survive with the level of clots that I had in my system. I had it medically all confirmed by the time I left hospital. Within six weeks, I had all the paperwork confirming vaccine-induced thrombiotic thrombocenia. I then started to try and rebuild my life. Not obviously... Being a full-time employed individual to suddenly you're never going to work again money doesn't come in anymore so you have to apply for the state benefits the state benefits took me 10 months to get basic state benefits i also applied for the uk has a, a system where the yellow card very similar to, to ours both of whom get an awful lot of bad press for the wrong reasons. I think people need to understand. Both of these were government designed systems to collate information to highlight possible issues with any medical product. And no one is saying that the number of adverse reactions of events that's going on at the moment in both fairs and yellow card are all vaccine related. Not one person is ever claiming that. What we're saying is, the numbers are not right. Clearly, it should be investigated. If I was the single person in the world with this condition called VIT, it would be an absolute tragedy. Sadly, there's 445 of us in the UK. 81 wow. of them were fatalities. I now know probably about 40 of those individuals, wives, mothers, sons, daughters, and I now know them personally, because these are the people that have kept me going and I've kept mm -hmm. them going, hopefully. Mm -hmm. That's where our fight is. And I set out a year and a half ago, as I said, because I was told I was rare, the only one in the world. And then suddenly I started to see the yellow card reports and this condition for climbing and climbing and climbing. Mm -hmm. And I went on social media to try and find other people like me to try and help each other. That's mm -hmm. all it was. 
and I was I'm I'm I'm, I'm a feisty Scotsman. Mm-hmm. I think you're either born a fighter or a flighter. And I've realised very early on in life that I was just a natural fighter. I fought against injustice, bullies, principles. You know, mm-hmm. these are the things that make me me. So mm-hmm. therefore, in my opinion, if you ask me to break my moral standards, ethics or principles, you're asking me not to be me. Mm-hmm. And I was in a place in life where I was happy and content. I had achieved everything I ever wanted to achieve in life. And I was quite happy to fade into the mediocrity of known as Alec the Mod, the guy that used to be in the band that drives the old scooters. I've always been known as that. That's not what I'm known as now. Mm. I'm known as Alec the one-legged guy mm. or the vaccine guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say, along the way, it just seemed to acquire this, I don't know, I've got no control over what's happened on social media. Um, I, I had 137 followers 18 months ago. I, I, I'm not sure. I think it's over 22,000 now. And a lot of mm-hmm. them are vaccine injured and died from all over mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time at this time of the morning, which is half 12 our time. Yeah. You know, Sometimes to four o'clock in the morning on to Zoom calls with other vaccine injured people or doctors or people that are trying to help. Mm-hmm. The problem we have is trying to find out who do we trust to help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there are people that are using the vaccine injured and the bereaved for their own agendas. Yeah. And I'm trying to be polite and I'm trying to be a representative of my homeland. Uh, but I'm going to, res- revite to sorry, revert to type to, for a second, and I do apologise for my language. These people can f*** off. Uh-oh. I should have warned you when you said that, that we're on AM radio in the Northwest. Sorry, so- I do apologise. <laughs> I do apologise. Um, okay, okay. these, these people really need to have a good look at where they're going. Yeah. The biggest trauma that we deal with at the moment is no one wants to help us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I submitted a claim to our vaccine damage, which is a, a, a one-off payment system that was set up in the 1970s. Mm. You had to prove you were A, more than 60% disabled, and B, most likely to be injured by a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I submitted my claim on the 23rd of April 2021. They finalised it in June the 22nd, 2022 and I had to fight all the way mm-hmm. every step of the way all the way to sending letters to Boris Johnson via my local politician I did get a response mm-hmm. he did his usual he sloped his shoulders and sent it across to someone else mm-hmm. um, the, the, the whole benefit system which is a different thing you don't tend to have that in America but the whole process, as you say, nobody's just denying that there's something out there that's killing people. That's never been in denied. Nobody's denied that we needed something. And if you needed it rushed, there was a higher risk. I've never been a problem with that because it's a, it's a numbers game to a certain extent. But if you know all that, 
and you're clever enough to manufacture this, the logistics of rolling it out, particularly in the USA and in the UK, as a reasonably large population, an age group, sweep it up, your first one, you didn't miss, you missed your appointment, you come for another one. All that was engineered and all thought out so very carefully. It was fantastic, feat of logistics, very intelligent. So you would think, now we know that there's a higher risk and we've rushed it, what would we do if it goes wrong? The UK government's some total preparation for a pandemic that they knew was going to kill people and for a vaccine that was higher risk was to add two single words to a 1970s policy that's tried to be reformed four times. They added COVID-19 vaccines. They didn't add any special benefits. They didn't add any special support packages. Nothing. Mm. It, gets, it goes further. The UK government published a guidelines on VIT. And in the guidelines, it highly recommends that all VITs receive psychological support. They didn't even do that. Hmm. I was given psychological support by a charity called Thrombosis UK, who reached out to all the confirmed VITs and offered us psychological support. And thank you for them. Hmm. Because these people kept us alive. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest problem that we have is this. Nobody wants to listen to us. Nobody wants to believe us. I'm labelled as misinformation on Twitter. Welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and... <laughs> you, get you know, it's, it's absolutely horrific. Um, I'm a very tough individual. I, my attitude is, I don't care how big you are. I'm not afraid of you. Because mm-hmm. what I say to people is, see when you're told this is your last moments, or something happens to you, you lose all fear. Mm-hmm. So if you don't fear death, what else do you fear? Nothing. And I've never mm-hmm. been afraid of much in life, but this has made me. What are you going to, what's the worst you're going to do? Kill me? You'd probably be doing me a favour. And, you know, and I mean that in a sarcastic way. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're taking a man who, whose pride was in his body, how he dressed, how he walked, how he looked. And you've taken all that away from a man. And you think I'm going to lie down and take that? No. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't say there is an afterlife and I don't say there's not because I've never been there. I hope not to go. I've been close a couple of times, but I don't want to try and find out for sure. But I do hope there is. Because for every breath that I've got on this earth, I will haunt these people. <laughs> I will. And when I go, I hope to haunt them in their dreams. And when they finally come wherever they go, I will find my way to them. I will never give them a second respite for eternity. For the simple reason, do you think I'm going to get a second respite? Every second of every day, I've reminded of these people, what not just what they've done to me, mm-hmm. what they continue to do to me and people like me. Mm-hmm. And the harsh, terrible thing is that I'm not alone. Yeah. Thousands of us across the world. Yeah. And, and you know, tragically, you're not alone. And yet, thank God you're not alone. Because in a way... You know, 
Zoe and I were in this war against this public health captured by the pharmaceutical industry and the use of vaccines really as weapons, as control, as policy. You know, there's so much about it and there was just so much wrong and there's been so much injury happening. I mean, our children really, their ultimate health being destroyed um, by Palestine. I can't tell an adult what to do. I would never do that. That's democracy. Children's a different story. There is three very simple, easy questions every parent has a duty of care to ask. Can you provide the verified, independently verified safety data showing that these are safe for children? Mm -hmm. All this pharmaceutical companies support my child for life should it go wrong? And three, will this government support my child for life should it go wrong? Now, as a parent, you have to question those. You do. If any of those questions returns as a no, you really have to consider what you're doing. Exactly. And the answer worldwide at the moment to all three is no. no. So we'll take that aside and we'll say, right, okay, this virus, we now know the children have a 0.002% of having a fatal reaction to this. Mm-hmm. They're in far more risk from the vaccines, any of them, than they are from any virus. Yeah. I'm not here to tell adults what to do, but I can tell you as a parent, because I'm a parent. Mm-hmm. You don't let them do this to your children, please, for the love of whatever you hold true. Yes. Your children don't need it. Right, and we know... Sorry. <clears throat> th- th- this is what I mean about the, the systemic problems that existed pre-COVID and the army of individuals such as yourself and the doctors and the scientists who have woken up uh, to the systemic corruption and problems. And one of the most evil things that they have done here in the United States was our advisory committee on immunization practices voted to put the COVID shots on the recommended pediatric schedule. And they're doing this to use children as human financial liability shields, because once they go on there and then Health and Human Services um, Director goes through the proper paperwork he has to do, it will transfer from the countermeasures protection umbrella where you can't sue the manufacturer to the 1986 Act that we have here. You guys have something similar in the UK where you can't sue the manufacturer. You have to sue the federal government, right? You have to sue... um, the indemnity clause. The indemnity clause, right. And, right. and you know, I hate anybody was hurt by COVID. I hate anybody was hurt by the response to COVID or these, or these products. But when I say that I, I so treasure you and all the others that are rising up because it took, the, the corruption was so systemic of the medical industry on our health that it took something as huge and awful as the response to COVID and these COVID shots to make, make everybody aware because it's going to take all of us to tear down the, what exists and build up something new and, and a new health paradigm. This is what's needed. I think we also need to take a good look from the top down. We've got this terrible habit of working from the bottom up. Well, but but really, it it is. We have to come from both sides. 
Yeah. The top down and the bottom up, but the bottom up is absolutely critical. And I believe, you know, looking at things, it comes first because if you look at the pub, the, the medical industry that is holding us, you know, um, that is harming us so much. It's like a, it's like a monster. It's yeah. a monster that feeds on money and individual choices. You either send your, your dollars toward feeding the monster toward the pharmaceutical industry, yeah. or you don't. And if you stop feeding that monster, it's going to begin to die. Yeah. You can, you know? we can starve it out. If enough people say, no, I'm just not going to do that. Just <laughs> The power of peaceful standing up and saying, no, we're done. You can make all the rules and regulations that you want. We're not doing it. We will not comply. I, I think that people are becoming so much more aware that people, companies like Pfizer and AstraZeneca and Moderna, or particularly Pfizer and AstraZeneca, are among the two most fine companies in the world. Yes. The criminal charges are government bribery, misinformation, Mm-hmm. Messing with data, rigging data trials. These people's history over the last 60 years have shown them wanting. We can go back to the thalidomide scandal. We can go to the AIDS scandal. We can go to the haemophilia scandal, the pandemics. I can keep going, going on. You know, yeah. each time. Now, I think what, what I'm probably more aware of now, I, I don't use the word awake or awoke, because I think that's more—that's their term. That's true. I believe we become aware of how right. nefarious these people are. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say from the top is both the FDA and the UK's Health Regulations Authority, 95% of both boards, all their funding, research, studies have all been sponsored by either Pfizer or AstraZeneca. 86% of the funding for the UK Health Regulations Authority comes from pharmaceutical companies. Yes, That's, a interest. Mm-hmm. That's a complete conflict of interest. Now, you mentioned something. How, how do we stop this? The FDA, AstraZeneca submitted the exact same safety data or trial data to UK Health Regulations and the FDA. The FDA didn't give AstraZeneca it's emergency use act in the US, USA. That's why it was never used there. It was trialed, but it was never used. And it failed because the data was incomplete, out of date, and and those sections missing. Out, out, yeah, incomplete, out of date sections missing and refused its emergency use act. The UK didn't do anything, just went ahead and used it. Hmm. Now, when it comes to a court case, and it's going to come to court cases, we now know that. I'm looking forward to the argument that the British government is going to put up against the FDA mm-hmm. because they're the ones that refused it in America. So how did you not spot what they spotted? Yeah. Well, you know, and even that you wonder because it seems like there's no there's no vaccine product or a product they call a vaccine. We know these are genetic therapies. Yeah. But there's no product ineffective enough 
enough or unsafe enough that they won't approve. So why didn't they approve the AstraZeneca? And I'm thinking they must have had some sweetheart deals with Moderna and Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson. And it's like, no, we don't want a fourth shot muscling in on our territory. And I remember um, sometime in this past year, they were looking at, I don't remember if it was like booster dose or some dose for a different age group, but it was the the Verbat group. It was an FDA vaccine and related biological committee group. And they were looking at data and it was just so incomplete and it, it didn't show effectiveness. It didn't show this or that. And they were just sitting there going, huh? And then somebody said something like, well, we already let this other product and it's got the same profile. And they're like, well, I guess to be fair, we approve it too. So, I mean, that was the level of like, we yeah. already did it for this one. So let's just continue with the... Um... Well, at the moment, the UK Health Regulations Authority are under, under criminal investigation. Oh, good. Because over the last two years, it's been, it's been revealed that the, the board have been receiving regular payments from both Pfizer and AstraZeneca. Oh, good deal. I hadn't heard about that. Had you, Zoe? No, but we're hoping to get similar things going, um, at least. Uh, I know there's three cases year. and going through the processes in the USA at the moment. Mm-hmm. I know that in the UK, that there is three Leo companies that have at least 80 vets each. And there's a class action getting prepared on that. Okay. That rules, talking to the indemnity, that's the UK indemnities contract out because if was, if the FDA stand by their, their verification of the data has been incomplete, out of date and incorrect, that nullifies the contract with AstraZeneca and the UK government and nullifies the indemnity. Oh, yeah. Well, I've spent 18 months doing nothing else, 24-7. Yeah. You've done two things. You've upset a Scotsman. You've upset a Scottish scaffolder. Yeah. I know who my money's on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I am a confident, arrogant. I'm all the things a scaffolder is. I try and be polite. But unfortunately, the Glaswegian East End boy scaffolder sometimes come out. If there's 45 words in a sentence and I can reduce it to two. <laughs> <laughs> We've already bleeped them once. Let me yes, I'm not... I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm very careful. I have eternal hope that we will prevail and we will see the end of the day. You mentioned Mr. Malone. Mm. The truth is like a line. I don't need to defend it. All I do is set it free. Yeah. And I do, I tell my truth. No, that's all it is. I tell the basic facts because if I told you the real horrors, you know, sort of a individual situations what's happened with myself we would all be sitting here in tears yeah and that doesn't do you any good or me any good mm-hmm. my mum used my mother my mother was a barmaid for 60 years and she was the most respected lady in the east end of glasgow because she bought five she bought five children up on her own while she ran mm-hmm. bars for 60 years very very clever lady and very, very witty. And she she said to me many, many times, 
It is what it is in life. You can't change it. You either deal with it or you don't. It's up to you. If you don't, it's still going to be there when you come back. Your call. Oh, she was a very clever lady. Um, Called me the most thrown. Do you know what thrown is? Awkward. It's it's an old Scottish word. So she called me the most thrown, stubborn, without a father that's ever loved. I got you, yeah. (laughs) um, She she didn't always say it with love. So I have to accept that. A, she was right. I'm the most thrown, stubborn individual because I'm not going anywhere, not for anyone. But the world needs stubborn individuals to think You know, there's a saying that they say a lot here where I am in in the southeast part of of the United States. And it's, you know, you were born for such a time as these. Your stubbornness was needed. The wise advice by your mother was needed, you know. And I got to tell you, my mother was a barmaid. Well, they call a bartender for several yeah. years. I was a little girl raising three little girls on her own. And um, she was very well respected and admired. And and I think she would have just loved y- your whole mod uh, approach to life with the yeah, scooter a- and all that. <laughs> I could certainly call and feel sorry for myself. And I think nobody would hold that against me. No. But I would be selling out all the values, principles, standards, morals, ethics that I've set for myself and lived by for 40 years. Yeah. I couldn't do that. I couldn't mm-hmm. become the hypocrite. I couldn't be... I don't tell everybody in life there's positivity. Go for the positive. There's always a positive. And then because it's my negative, I throw that out the window. Mm. I'm sorry, that's what's made me happy. That's what got me happy, being that way. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't change me. It has changed me, obviously, physically. It's changed me mentally because I now trust no one. Mm-hmm. I trust my six hematologists and two vascular surgeons and maybe one other doctor. Mm-hmm. I don't trust any others. Mm-hmm. Politicians. Yeah, the best thing with a politician is to hold them for long enough underwater. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Um, the very desire to be a politician should bar you from being one for life. That was Billy Conley. He said it as a joke. Yeah. A joke. Well, yeah, that really the the best, I mean, we, we need, I guess, societies need people to step up and take the lead and then step back. But the underlying sentiment that you're saying is, is, you know, if they do it because they want to serve a purpose, not because they want to be a politician, they want to be famous, they want yeah, the power. Not, not for the desire of power. But the true desire to serve in a certain situation is is very noble, but those people usually do so reluctantly because they don't really want all that goes with it. Um, they they go in cooking and screaming. It's a little bit like Zoe and I, you know? I mean, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's a dangerous yeah, we, um, you know, we're we're moms. I mean, wouldn't it be nice? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if our houses were clean, Zoe? I don't know. Right? You, oh my god! Since I got into the movement, I mean, I, I tell you, <laughs> you know, it looks clean behind me, but don't 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 look at my. Yeah, mine floor. doesn't even. You know, <laughs> you know, I could. I I always take. I mean, if I wait long enough, I'm going to be able to plant a little crop of something in the corner because I got so many layers of dust that. Um, <laughs> 
And, you know, but this is, you know, we, we were drug here because we're mama bears and because we are so much like you, we hate injustice. I just can't stand injustice. And I do it to, because I, 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 but I believe in humanity. I believe in the goodness of people. And, and I, I want things, I want to leave the world a better place than when I entered it. And we're in this crazy time. And, um, and, you know, I, I, I hope that some of the brilliant doctors that are working on recovery protocols do find something is, do they know yet is what you're experiencing with the blood clotting? Is it an autoimmune reaction? Is it auto antibodies that are causing the clotting? Do they know? That's what I've read about it. It's the PF4 antibody that gets reversed. Um, It's very similar condition called HITS, which is heparin induced thrombiotic thrombothenia. The clots are formed when your platelets feed your clots, if that makes any sense. And that, that comes from the PF4 antibody, which is what feeds the platelets to make the platelets. Mm. Normally what happens is because it's negative, if you're getting clots, that drops, and that's what causes the clots. So what they would do is give you a plus base to lift your PF4 antibody back up to negative again. Unfortunately, with the VIC cases, because the PF4 is positive, heparin-based or any other kind of based uh, um, is like putting petrol onto a fire because you're putting positive onto positive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And sadly, um, in the first sort of a 16 cases to 30 cases worldwide, given the symptoms that we presented with, you automatically... And it's not a feeling... It's the science that the time told, they, told give them mm-hmm. heparin. Yeah, it's a very paradoxical condition. I've read yeah. about it, and it's um, yeah. very so surprising. You're both, you're both prone to bleeding and prone to clotting. So the yeah, medicines for each yeah. will make the other worse. And you're in, yeah, it's... It becomes this perpetual motion of blood clots. It mm, doesn't stop. Yeah. That's why they form, and they don't form one at a time. It's three or four at a time. They were actually basically they cut me open at both at the top of the groin, oh. and they were working taking clots from both legs and the abdomen at the same time mm. because they were forming. As they were taking one out, three were forming, mm-hmm. and thankfully, in my situation, they gave me steroids as opposed to heparin, oh. and that's what the secret was. I was the first to survive because they gave me steroids. Mm-hmm. So a steroid would be um, would suppress the immune system, which in this case it would be the antibody, right? It's a clotting down. Yeah. And obviously the thinners allows the, the PF4 antibody to be thinned enough to not clot. Okay. Um, I'll be on that. So is that what they've got you on now, steroids? Um, no, the... Uh, it's only a shot, it's like very high powerful dosage very quickly and then wean you off it very quickly. Okay. And it seemed to work. And it's not all bad news with VIT. Some of the VITs have actually been successfully, the PFO antibody has been returned to normal. <gasps> oh, that's exciting to hear. And they've actually managed to get them stable and remove all thinners. And these people are now effectively... On that, they're clear. Oh, that's good. That's Absolutely. good news. 
Okay. News. And of course, some of us hope that there is a possibility that it will change. Oh, I hope so. And we're going to be adding you and all of them to our prayers. We've got like one minute. Uh, last words, Alex. Um, yes, everyone needs to know one thing. You don't know how strong you are. So strong is all you've got. And you have a pot of it and it's endless. You will find it. Some of us find it naturally. Some of us don't know we found, we found it. But we've all got it. Believe in yourselves. We will come through this. Humanity, truth and justice will always prevail. Well, thank you, Alex. Truth and justice will always prevail. Much love and prayers to you, dear sir. Zoe, thank you for joining me for both hours. And everybody, thank you for listening. Get turtles all the way down. Support each other. Educate each other. Love each other. Be fierce. Be strong. We can do this. We can change the future for the better for our children. And we must. You've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Everybody have a great weekend. Take care. Hi, I'm Brad Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PGI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit PJI.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.